Hey, I want to welcome, um, just for a moment, I want to take a moment, look in the camera and welcome everybody that is tuning in online right now, Global X fam, watching this in YouTube anytime. Come on, let's just welcome them. We know that so many connect with us digitally every week, uh, as well as our correctional facilities that uh, broadcast these. It's an honor for us to be able to share this with you. And uh, if you're new to this space, can I just say welcome? If you're new to this community, you know, I, one of the things that's so cool about what God's doing in this community is that he's bringing people from all over and all different walks of life in all different spaces when it comes to their spiritual journey. And, and I like for people to hear this so that you know, regardless of what you believe, if you're in a process where you're maybe, I'm not sure I believe that God is real. If you're here today and maybe you're like, I'm just curious or I've got a lot of doubts or I used to believe, but I don't. Can I just say how, how thankful I am that you would feel or trust us enough to come into this space and hopefully wrestle with these questions. And I want you to know, because we say this all the time, you don't have to believe to belong here. You can come even if you have no belief whatsoever and be part of a community. Because here's what I know. That's what Jesus was like. Jesus was always inviting people. Do you know that even his own disciples did not believe that he was the son of God when Jesus invited them to follow him? He just said, come do life with me. Take a step with me. And when they did, listen, their eyes were open, their mind, their spirit, and they realized Jesus is not just a man. And here's my hope and prayer for you. If you're in that journey and you're asking questions and you don't know what you believe, I just want you to know, man, welcome to this journey. And I want to invite you just to step into it, discover who Jesus is. Now, here's the warning. Watch out because it might change your life. Amen. Come on, is there anybody here agrees with me? Do I got to clap for it to myself today? Amen. Yeah, if you're, uh, if you're new with us, we're actually continuing a series, really looking at Jesus. I wanted to take the several weeks we have coming up, and Easter is coming soon, to focus on the main character. I think sometimes we can kind of get lost in all of the translation of church life, religion, and sometimes Jesus gets lost. And so I wanted to take some time to lean into the main character because here's what I've also discovered in a lot of conversations with people. I've discovered there's a lot of people confused about who Jesus is. And one of the reasons why so many people are confused about who Jesus is, and maybe some of you are confused, it could be because of the presentation of Jesus that you were exposed to. It could be the experience, the church experience you went to, and you're like, if that's Jesus, I'm not so sure I'm interested. Or maybe you encountered some of his followers, people who went around and they wore all the like really Jesus paraphernalia, and they had the bumper stickers on their car, but they're the same people that cut you off and flip you the bird, and you're like, whoa, okay, if that's Jesus. And I think sometimes, even in the church, we're kind of confused about who Jesus is. Because sometimes over in Western culture, we've got this picture of Jesus like he's this white European dude with long flowing hair, blue eyes, soft, gentle. He's the nicest guy in the world. Now listen, I believe Jesus is nice, but can I just tell you something? There was more to him than that. And I think we're going to be really surprised one day, a lot of us who follow Jesus, when we meet him, we're going to be like, wait, wait, that's you? Like, you all, you all know this. You all know Jesus is Middle Eastern, right? That's going to be a shock for a lot of people. They're going to be like, that's not what I was picturing. Because, because we have this picture of Jesus that we've been given. Can I just say sometimes it's not that accurate? And, and so what we're talking about these few weeks and 
We're talking about, I guess what I would say is some of my favorite Jesus moments. There's a lot of Jesus moments in the Gospels, but what I wanted to lean in on are my favorite moments. And these, for some reason, tend to be the moments when Jesus was unglued, when Jesus was unhinged, when Jesus kind of went off, when Jesus kind of got mad. I love that. I love it. Though Jesus is fully God, he still got mad. There were things that upset him. People bothered him, situations bothered him. And so we're kind of leaning into those moments. Now, if you were here last week, we looked at this moment when Jesus, at the beginning of his ministry, he went to the temple and something made him so mad that he flipped tables upside down. And here's what I know. Not only did Jesus flip tables upside down, but I actually believe that Jesus started flipping the world upside down in those moments. And today we're going to look at another moment when Jesus goes not to the temple, but a synagogue, a local church, and he flips someone's life upside down. Now, if you got your Bible with you, if you want to copy your scriptures or on electronic device, I encourage you to lean into these moments with your Bible, either digitally or physically, because I think there's something about actually you leaning in, studying, underlining, highlighting, scribbling thoughts that that God can come back to you and speak to you later about it. And and by the way, I wanna say this. I said this in the last one. I said, if you don't have a physical Bible, we would love nothing more as a church to give you one free of charge. All you have to do is stop off at Next Steps. I said that last week, and there was such a run that we only have a few Bibles left. We'll order more, but if you're here today and you don't have a physical Bible, free of charge, stop off at Next Steps, let them know. First come, first serve today though, okay? And we'll get some more, but... I want to make sure everybody has an opportunity to meet Jesus through the scriptures. Now, Mark chapter 3. If you got your Bible, Mark chapter 3, we're going to look at this story. Let me read a couple verses, and then we're going to try to get the context before we go further. Mark 3, verse 1, it says this. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, So they watched him closely to see if he would, oh, get this, heal him on the Sabbath. Dun, dun, dun. Like this is a big deal. What we have in this moment is a bit of a showdown between Jesus and the Pharisees. In that passage where it says some of them were looking for a reason, these were the Pharisees, which were the religious ruling body of Jesus' time. They were probably the most trained, uh, educated. They, they knew their Bible scriptures inside and out. Uh, they were not only the religious leaders of the day, they were also the political leaders of the day. And Jesus, what you'll find as, as you stick with us for the next few weeks, most of his confrontations happened with these people. And so here's a moment where Jesus goes into the synagogue. Now, if you're kind of wondering what's the difference between the temple and the synagogue, the temple was kind of like the main big church at the capital in Jerusalem. It was like the epicenter of the Jewish faith. It was like, okay, everybody traveled to the temple three times a year. But, but in each of the communities, they would have their own local churches. And there were synagogues, and that's where people would gather on the Sabbath, much like we're doing today. Their Sabbath was Friday night to Saturday, and they would gather, and they would worship God. They would read the Scripture. So it's kind of similar to, like, going to church. And so Jesus walks into this church, and he sees a man with a shriveled hand. He had a deformed hand. He had a medical condition. 
And this ends up being the backdrop for a very contentious moment Jesus has with the Pharisees. Now, we're going to come back to this story in a moment, but I want to give you the context because there's a, a much deeper um, truth that you're going to discover in this story if you back up just a few verses and see about the exchange Mark tells us happened in the end of Mark 2. Now, at the end of Mark chapter 2, here's what happened. Jesus and his disciples were walking one day through a grain field, which also happened to be on the Sabbath. And so here they are. It's a Saturday morning, afternoon. They're walking through uh, this field of grain, and it said that some of Jesus' disciples were hungry, and they picked some of the heads of the grain, and then you had to kind of shuck it to get to the kernel and eat it, kind of like peanuts, okay? And so they're walking by, and some of them are hungry, and they're like, and they're plucking them, and they're eating them. And, and the Pharisees see all this happening, and they lose their minds. They stop Jesus. They're like, Jesus, hold on, hold on, hold on. And I want you to hear what they said to him. This is, again, the context for the contention. It says this in Mark 2, verse 24. But the Pharisees said to Jesus, look, why are they breaking the law? Now, how were they breaking the law? By doing what? Everybody say that word out loud. By they were harvesting grain on the Sabbath. That is a no-no. You don't work on the Sabbath. Okay, this, is, this was a command that they held. And, and they look at him, they see him picking some grain, and they're like, oh, they're harvesting the field. You're not allowed to work. You're not allowed to harvest. You save that for Sunday through Friday. But you don't work the fields on Saturday. Now, I want to ask you a question. And I know some of you, are, you know, you're not biblical scholars, and you, you know you can go to seminary, and you don't have a degree in it, but you don't have to. You don't have to. I just want to ask a simple question. Here's what I want all of us to do. I want all of us to use common sense. Common sense. Real, real simple, yes or no, just say it out loud. Were the disciples harvesting the field? Yes or no? No. They're not harvesting the field. They're walking through plucking some grain and they're eating it because they're hungry. They're not actually harvesting the field. You know what's interesting? I was reading this on Monday because I knew this was the passage I was, I was going to preach. And, and so I'm, I'm reading it and studying. This is what I do. And, and, and I, I was like, come on, guys. Like, this is so obvious. Like, you, you guys are just so missing it. I'm thinking the Pharisees. And then this question hit me. And I thought, oh, if I were there, I could have helped the Pharisees out. Because I feel like they're missing a really good angle. Like if I were going to, and I'm like, okay, I'll give it to Jesus as well with them. And I thought to myself, you are mad because you say they're harvesting the field? I'm wondering, why does nobody have a problem with them stealing somebody else's grain when they walk through another field? That's the question I was asking. I'm like, if I were there, I'd have been like, guys, guys, you're getting it wrong. That's the wrong angle. Ask this question. It bothered me. Can I be honest with you? It bothered me. Like they were, they're stealing someone's. You can't do that. Let's talk about thou shalt not steal, huh? I kid you not, that's Monday. It's Monday. Tuesday morning, I wake up, and I'm sitting down to do my devotions. Okay, now I'm on this reading plan where I'm reading through the Bible in a year. I kind of do this every year. I change it up a little bit, how I do it, but... 
I happen to be reading that particular day. Now, now what I'm about to read to you and show you, I'm not making this up because I know some of you think like, you know, pastors, they kind of stretch the truth and lie a little bit just to make a point. It's a really good point. Listen, other pastors might do that, but I don't. So I just, I need you to know that this really happened to me. On Tuesday, I'm reading in Deuteronomy 23. When I come to this passage, Deuteronomy 23, verse 25, I kid you not, this is what it said. And when you enter your neighbor's field of grain, I'm I'm not making this up. I did not think to study this. You may pluck the heads of grain with your what? Hand, but you must not do what? But don't harvest it with a sickle. I'm like, my mind was blown. I'm like, I'm sorry, Jesus. I feel bad for even thinking how you could let your disciples steal when I'm reading Moses, the guy who had the commands in the first place, the guy who gave us the top 10 from God. This guy, I mean, if there's anybody that knows the way it's supposed to go, it's Moses. Could we not agree? In fact, all the Pharisees spent their lives studying, memorizing, interpreting, trying to what Moses gave them. And now I'm reading Moses like, actually, it's okay to walk through your neighbor's field. And if you're hungry, you can pluck some grain with your hand. But then something hit me. See, I don't know if you caught this. I don't know if you got this. It was more than that that God gave me. I also realized that Moses differentiated between plucking grain with your hand and harvesting it with a tool. It wasn't the same thing. And I thought to myself, how is it that the people who are the professionals, the, the, the wisest and the smartest, who had most of what Moses wrote memorized, completely missed this, And they look at them and they go, why are they harvesting? Here's what they did. They added it on the Sabbath. Why why are they doing that? And I thought to myself, isn't that what religion does? Religion tends to take a command And rather than embracing the spirit of the command, the heart of the command, it looks for a way to add layers and rules and guardrails to it so that it no longer becomes something good, but actually can be used as a weapon to come at people. That's what religion, let let me say it this way. Religion adds a burden where God gives a blessing. I feel like I should say that again. You should clap because it's so true. Religion adds a burden where God gives a blessing. Let's talk about the Sabbath for a moment. The Sabbath. You, You know why God gave them a Sabbath? It's the Israelites had just come out of Egypt and after being enslaved for hundreds of years, And so God looked down at these people and he sees that these people had been forced to hard labor, conscripted to working for someone else, harsh labor, 24-7. They were worked to the bone. So much so they cried out for God, God intervened, sends Moses, right? You know the story. 
But here's what's interesting. The moment they come out, God gives them, he takes them to Mount Sinai and he gives them this, these 10 commands to begin with. And one of them was, hey, listen, one day a week, one day, I don't want you to work because I didn't make you just to work. And because I created you and I know that mind, body, and spirit, you need to rest. Do you realize God did that for us? That it was intended to be a blessing? I mean, how many of you, let's be honest, if you work during the week, maybe a regular hour job, how many of you, like every single Friday, it's like T-G-I-F, T-G-I-F, T-I-F, T-I-F. Like, thank God it's Friday. Oh, sorry, hold on, the Christian version. Thank goodness it's Friday. No, I think it's okay to say, thank God it's Friday because God's the one that instituted that you're not supposed to work all the time, that I want you to experience the blessing of this life. I want you to rest and reconnect, just recover. I want you to be renewed. And so for one day a week, they were supposed to trust God and they were supposed to reconnect and worship with him. It was meant to be a good thing. I don't want you working yourself to the... In fact, this is what you need to know. It, it, was, it was not just a command that God came up with. It was something he modeled. It's like when, when God, in his creative work, created everything, Genesis 2 tells us that on the seventh day, God rested. That, that God created us. And here's the thing. I just want you to hear. The spirit of God's commands are intended to be a blessing. See, a lot of times we, we don't see it that way. I, I hear people all the time, I think, well, you know, I would get, I, people don't go to church. They don't, they don't want to, you know, they don't want to step into an environment and a relationship with God because they feel like it's a bunch of rules and it's impossible to keep. And can I just tell you that the spirit of God's commands have always been intended to be a blessing for you and for me. It's never meant to, like, God's harsh and overbearing, and he's just, he's just, like, impossible to please, and he just creates all these rules. And I think we've heard it because maybe, you know, it's been ingrained in us. Thou shalt not. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not this. Thou shalt not. And thou shalt not. Thou shalt not. Well, you know what's interesting? Like, can I ask a question? How awful is it that God would institute a command like thou shalt not steal? I know it's repressive because sometimes you're like, I just wish I could go take that and I see something, I really want it, and I know it doesn't belong, and I wish I could. No, most of us don't think that way. Do you, do you know it's actually meant to be a blessing so that maybe others wouldn't steal from you? Oh, oh, that's good. I like that. Oh, thou shalt not bear false witness. Oh, my God, it's impossible. You know what? I sure love it when other people don't lie about me, though. You see, the spirit of God's commands were intended to be a blessing in the same way that maybe if you're a parent, you can understand this. You've got some rules at your house, I bet. you got some commands for your kids. It's not because, and see, when you're young, you don't know that, and you rebel against your parents, and they got all these stupid rules, and say, I gotta be in by 11 p.m., it's so mean, it's like other kids get to stay out till one o'clock. I know, but you know why they do it? Because they actually love you and care for you. The parent that has zero rules doesn't really care that much about their kid. I hope that didn't like offend any of you. We don't do rules in our house, you know. We just talk it all out. That's cool. That's cool. I mean, I hope it works out. 
But there's a reason why sometimes we give commands. It's because, listen, I care about my kids. I, lo- I want the best for them. I want them to grow to be the best person. So I'm sometimes going to put parameters that's going to protect them. This is the spirit. I need you to understand this before we look at this moment. Because this is where the contention came from. How can you let them do that? Now, here's Jesus' response. Let me give this to you. I love this. Verse 27. Then he said to them, that's the Pharisees, the Sabbath was made for whom? Who was it made for? Who was it made for? I'm going to say and women. It was made for mankind. It was made for you and me. And it was not man for the Sabbath. I love this. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. In other words, God created this concept of rest. I know we're talking about something that some of us would look at. That's Old Testament. That's Jewish. Can I tell you? No, no, no. God actually created all of us to experience rest. I really believe a Sabbath is something that is beautiful. It's not meant to be legalistic. It's not meant to be, the, but it's meant to be a benefit to your life. And so Jesus says, no, 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 you guys missed it. God created the Sabbath for your benefit. He didn't, it's not the other way around. God didn't have all these rules and go, I should create some subjects so that they have to follow them. That's not what God did. And Jesus knew this so much. I love this phrase. He said, even so, the son of man. Now that was a reference that he loved to use about himself. That was actually pointing back to Old Testament prophecy. But he said, the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. What was he saying? He was saying, I know the real reason for the rule because I created it. Y'all twisted it. You got it wrong. That's what he's doing. That's what he's saying in that moment. And so it's with this understanding that we now step into Mark chapter 3. On another day, happens to be a Sabbath. Jesus walks into the local synagogue. The Pharisees happen to come in. The moment they do and they lock eyes and they see each other, Jesus' attention is drawn away because he sees a man with a shriveled hand, a man with a medical condition, a man with a problem, a man with a deformity. Jesus sees that. Here's what's interesting. I'm looking at this exchange. Jesus sees the man with compassion. All they can see is an opportunity to trick Jesus. Like, how are you guys missing the man? Jesus sees the man. They only see Jesus. They only see an opportunity. Jesus saw a man who was hurting, a man who wasn't whole, and his greatest desire and compassion was to fix it. And you know what I've found? This is what we've been talking about. There's a big difference through seeing the world through the lens of Jesus versus the lens of religion. Because religion always looks for the problem, separates the problem, Religion looks for an opportunity to trap. Religion looks for an opportunity to beat someone over the head with a command rather than love someone who's hurting in the moment. And so here's this showdown. And Jesus does something interesting. He knows, in fact, Matthew's account tells us they asked him a question, and there's a bit of an exchange. And I love what happened. Look at Mark 3, verse 3. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. I would be mortified if I were this guy. Come on, wouldn't you? Like, look, look, give me an example. Okay, I had this thought. I thought maybe I would do a little bit of my own sermon illustration. I'm like, if Jesus can do one, I can do one. And so I just need a volunteer or two 
that would love to come up on the platform. If you have some kind of either physical condition, mental condition, emotional condition that is super embarrassing, you're ashamed of, you really don't want anybody to know. Does anybody here just a volunteer want to raise their hand, want to come up here? Anybody? No, I'm not asking somebody to come up. I appreciate some of you are like, yeah, I'll do it. But listen, I'm thinking to myself, could you imagine if you were this person and you have something, can I, can I tell you what I picture, and I know scripture doesn't fill in all the details, but when I understand the human condition, I can probably picture this moment more real. Like I'm, I'm thinking of this, if I had a condition like that, because you gotta remember in this day, if you had any kind of condition, they thought you sinned, you were the problem. If you had any, if you were blind, some, you did something wrong or your parents. I mean, this was the, the thought. In the, so I can only imagine the way he came into church. It would probably been like this. That's what I would have done. I would have tucked my hand in, put it in my, I would have had it behind my back like this. Jesus caught when he saw it. And Jesus says, hey, come on, stand up in front of everyone. See, I know that's, that's what we do naturally because that's what I've done. That's what I've done whenever I had something I've been embarrassed about or I didn't want anybody to see. I, okay, so about a year or so ago, I had a cyst starting to grow in the back of my neck. It was a small little cyst, started as a bump, but it wasn't going away. I went and saw the doctor, and the doctor said, oh, I don't think it's anything to worry about, but you, it's not going to go away, and you're going to have to have it cut off. And I just kind of ignored it, but I felt like it was getting bigger. And so I was getting like, you ever get self-conscious about something? Like walking around like this. I'm like, hey, what's, how you doing? You know what I mean? I don't want anybody to see you. And I, I don't look when I walk away. You know what I mean? I was getting real self-conscious. So I went and saw a dermatologist. The dermatologist said, we got to cut it out. And so at the beginning of this year, I went and saw a dermatologist and they cut it out and then they sewed it up with stitches and had me put these bandages on it and put all this stuff on it. And I just, I was, I'm like, gosh, I just, I don't like people seeing that I got something. And so I kid you not, I'm just, I'm just on this. I kid you not for about three weeks straight while I was waiting for the sutures to dissolve three weeks and I had to put a bandage on three weeks straight. I wore a hoodie every single day, three weeks straight. Go back and watch the film. I, every message I preached in January, I had a hoodie on. Because I didn't want, now you all going to be looking. I might as well just like, it's right there. There's a scar. You can see it. Might as well, because you all going to be looking now. People walking up behind me. I'm like freaking me out. Stop. <laughs> you, you see, I think it's actually very natural. I think it's natural for us to hide that which we're ashamed of. And the reason why I believe that is is even in the narrative in Genesis chapter 3. What happened when Adam and Eve first sinned and they realized that they were naked? It says that they felt shame. And what did they do? They covered themselves and then they hid from God. Because I believe the natural thing for us to do is hide that which we're ashamed of. And I can only imagine that here's this guy who's got his hand tucked in. And Jesus, knowing what's going on, he says, hey, you, come here. Stand up in front of everybody. And, and, and here's the thing I know. For us and some of you, maybe many of us, it might not be a physical disformity that you have. But I wonder how many of us hide a family dysfunction. You, you know what I mean? Where... Where like when you're at church 
or when you go to a school function, or when you're in public together, everybody snaps too and kind of act like we're all friendly and like each other, but when we get in the car, it's back at each other's throats and it's always volatile and you're always angry and people are mad and, th- and there's a dysfunction. And yet when we gather around other people, what do we do? We hide it. Because what I don't want anybody to know about our dysfunction. By the way, one of the reasons why, and I don't have any problem with this. You can dress up all you want. But one of the reasons why in our church, you may notice it's kind of casual in the culture. It's because one of the things that we try to combat is this thing that we've had for years, which is we put our Sunday best on when we come to church and we look like we're holy. But then the rest of the week, we look like hell and we live like hell. And I know it's not about the clothing, but I have seen for far too long in church and religious environments where we're really good at masking what's really going on and we won't actually open up and show people the real us. And listen, there's nothing that it just will keep you more from experiencing wholeness in your life than when you actually reveal it. And so I might not be a physical disformity, but I don't know. It could be an emotional condition that you have or you're crippled by anxiety or fear, or maybe you feel like you're having a meltdown, and, or maybe a mental. Maybe you've got a mental diagnosis, and you don't want anybody to know because you're afraid of how they'll see you. Can you imagine how this guy felt? Hey, why don't you stand up here in front of everybody? I don't think any of us would love to, to be paraded around in front of everybody, but I actually think there's a deeper truth of what Jesus was about to do. And there is something that we need to understand, and that is this. God won't heal what we try to conceal. I need us to hear that today. God won't heal what you try to conceal. I don't just get that from this moment. I actually get that from another passage of Scripture. James 5, verse 16 tells us this. Confess your sins to each other and pray for you. Not beat each other down because they messed up. And pray for each other so that you may be what? Say it out loud. So you may be? See, I I think sometimes we haven't got this. So many of us, we battle with some of the same sins, the same patterns, the same habits that continue to drag us down, that continue to mess up our relationships, that continue to drive us further from God, and we don't want anybody to know. We put on this persona that I've got it together and I'm good and I'm just a good follower of Jesus and I just follow this, but you don't want anybody to see your pain and your dysfunction. And what Scripture tells us is that you won't actually find healing in your life. You won't actually be made whole in your life. And some of you have battled with the same sins, the same pattern for 10, 15, 20, 30 years. And here's your mindset. I know because I've done this too. It's that every time I mess up, I pray. Well, God will forgive me if I pray. He will. When you are sincere, you say, God, forgive me. I messed up. He will. But that doesn't mean that you will break free of the power of that sin in your life. The way you break free of the power of that sin in your life is you actually have accountability in your life. You confess it to somebody you trust. You say, I am struggling with this. I'm struggling with doubts. I'm struggling with this sin. I'm struggling with this addiction. And I need somebody to stand with me and pray with me and hold me accountable. That is the key to finding freedom in your life. Listen, God will forgive you, but there's a difference between God's forgiveness and your freedom. And so God won't heal what we try to conceal. 
And so maybe in this moment when God brings this guy up here, he's not actually just trying to make him feel uncomfortable. You see, I also think that though Jesus is going to deal with this man's physical condition, before he does that, he stops and uses him as a prop. He uses him as a prop to deal with the Pharisees' spiritual condition. I love what he says to the Pharisees. Look at verse 4, if you got that passage open still. I know we're just working our way through it, but it's so deep and rich. Mark 3, verse 4, then Jesus asked them, that was the Pharisees, which is lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? And notice this, but they remained silent. I think Jesus had to take them back to the purpose of the Sabbath and what they had twisted it to be. And he said, what what is the right thing to do? I think this would apply to the Sabbath like any other day. What's the right thing to do? Do you do good or you do evil? You're going to save life or you're going to destroy it? How do you see the Sabbath? That's just an example of one of the many things of God's commands, his instruction. I'm asking you, how do you see the Sabbath? Because how you see God's commands will determine how you see God. And if all you can see is a God who is restrictive, you see what's interesting when you think about the the laws, and let's just even look at the Ten Commandments. See, the, the reason why we think God is so restrictive is because here's what we hear. You shall not bow down and worship another God. You shall not steal. You shall not kill. Shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall, you shall. And, and so I'm asking this question when it comes to God's command. And this is where we all have to recognize if you've been in a religious environment like I have for any length of time, oftentimes the way you see God's commands seem to be so restrictive, repressive. And that's not the intent. That's what Jesus is trying to ask. And the truth is this if we're not careful, We can all become so legalistic and so covered in religion that, please hear me, you can have religion and not have the heart of God. You can. You can be deeply religious. There's nothing wrong with that. But listen to me. You can have religion and not have the heart of God. This is Jesus coming to show us Who the fathers, his love, his compassion. Here's a guy who's hurting and broken. And you're literally looking for an opportunity to destroy me. See, when Jesus asked this question, I believe that he was even prophetically talking about what they were about to do. I'm going to show you this in a moment. What's the right thing to do on the Sabbath? And sometimes I wonder if we have created gray in areas where God has said it's black and white. What's the right thing to do? Sometimes we should just ask that. Forget what rules and what we've been told. What's the right thing to do? Is it do good or is it to do evil? Is it to save a life or is it destroy a life? And what's interesting, their answer is silence. Because it makes me wonder if they had found a third option. What's the third option? Third option. Do nothing. Do nothing. 
Yeah, we see them hurting. But we have justified doing nothing. It's like Jesus said when a man was beaten on the side of a road. It's a parable. And the religious leaders see him lying there. And they step on the other side of the road and pass by and do nothing. See, I think in our culture today that we've gotten so comfortable that we've developed a third option. I can do nothing. I can believe in God, but I can do nothing. I can see suffering, but do nothing. I can see someone hurting and do nothing and say nothing. I think we've developed a third option. And Jesus tried to make it so. He's like, you either do good in that moment or you do evil. But what if there's no in between, guys? What if there's no turning a blind eye? See, I think about James 4, 17, which says, if you, knowing the good you ought to do and don't do it, it is sin for you. And so maybe we, we've gotten so comfortable and we've created a religion where we can turn a blind eye. Can I just say this? If the rules of your religion cause you to turn away from somebody who's hurting because you have something else you could be doing or you feel justified that I don't have to do that and I'm good with my Father in heaven, can I just say something? You have a false religion. God's word says that if you say, I love God, but I hate my brother and sister, that you have a false religion. That's false. If I can get to a point where in my religion, I'm talking about people in the church right now, okay? If I can get so comfortable in my belief system and my religion that I can justify, I can justify literally turning a blind eye when somebody is being hurt or someone is being offended or someone is being oppressed or something. And I cannot say anything, but I can sit over here on my high horse and I can feel good about myself without having a heart of compassion that says, if I can, I want to do something about it. Then you have a false religion. In fact, James would tell us pure and undefiled religion, if you want to talk about religion, is to take care of the orphans and the widows. It is to act. It is to when you see something, your heart breaks, you have the heart of God, and you say, I want to do something about that. But so often, I think, I think that we have, we have gone so comfortable. I'm talking about the Christian church at large, where I can sit and go to church and have a belief system and say, I'm good with God. But in all the meanwhile, I can go around and destroy people verbally behind their back and think I'm okay with God. No, no. If we ever get to the point where we elevate our theology to a place where it allows us to ignore someone's pain and suffering, We've got a false religion. And Jesus would say, you don't have the heart of God. Oh, you might have rules. You might have rituals. But you don't know the Father. Because if you saw what I see, you would know that what matters most to me, I don't care if you're trying to trap me, is this guy who's hurting has a condition. I love what Jesus, I love. See, if, if you thought, man, I just, I can't do church and I can't do this because all oh, the rules and that, you ought to just look at Jesus. Jesus is so awesome. Look at verse five. He looked around at them in anger 
and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. And he said to the man, who's hiding it, I'm sure, who's got his hand behind his back. I don't want anybody to see. He says, stretch out your hand. And the moment he stretched out his hand, it was completely restored. Now look at verse six. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. I think sometimes it's, it's easy to read scripture and think this is about somebody else. And, and it is, but not actually take the heart of it what Jesus said or the passage and apply it to ourselves. And there's so many different things that I could see myself in the application of this moment in my life. Part of it was, I pray that I am never the kind of person that Jesus would look at with a stubborn heart. That when God's trying to press in an area of my life where maybe I've been stubborn, think I know it all, think I understand God, think I've got all figured out. I I just hope I'm never the kind of person that has such a stubborn heart that Jesus can't get through to me. But I also recognize that though maybe you don't have a physical deformity and I may not, but I know a lot of times when we come into the presence of Jesus, we might have a condition. And can I tell you what his heart is? I want to heal it. I want to heal it. I love how John 3.17 says that Jesus didn't come into this world to condemn it, but to save it. And I just wonder if so many people have been introduced to a version of Jesus that feels condemning. Not convicting, but condemning. He'll, He'll address your sin. He addresses mine. If you don't have a stubborn heart, he will. But I, I found it fascinating that they could turn around. And I think the reason why Jesus asked this specific question, what is it lawful to do on the Sabbath? Do good or evil to save life or destroy it? It's because he knew they were going to walk out on the Sabbath and plot his murder. Apparently it's okay to plan murder on the Sabbath, but not heal. And the question that I have for us today, because I don't know what's going on in your life and I don't know maybe what condition that you have in your life, but I wonder what condition you have concealed that God hasn't been able to heal. I know it's a little awkward and tense, but I wanna sit in it for a moment. Because I wonder if there are many of you here that have a condition that you haven't told anybody about before. You might have an addiction and you've been drinking a lot, but you try your best to cover up your breath. Don't want anybody to know. Or you justify the fact that you do it every single night because your work is so hard and tense. But the truth is it's become an addiction and it mastered your life. Can I just tell you something? God wants to free you of that 
any addiction, but you can't conceal it. Is it a substance? You keep going back to it? I try not, I try not, and I tell God, I'm sorry. I understand, but maybe the moment you, you stretch it to him, maybe the moment you, can, you stop concealing it and you tell somebody, maybe that's the key to actually breaking the power of it. It could be pornography. You can keep repenting of it, but you just keep going back to it. It's because you got to tell somebody. What is it? What condition? Is it an emotional condition? Your life is filled with fear, anxiety, worry, stress. You're having a breakdown. You won't tell anybody. You're losing it emotionally. Some of you, maybe it's an emotional affair that you've already started with somebody else because your marriage hasn't been good. I know this is kind of heavy, but here's what I know. God wants to bring healing into your life. When Jesus looks at you, he doesn't look at somebody that I want to take out. He looks at somebody who's hurting and broken. He says, I want to heal that, but I can't heal that unless you stretch it out, unless you stretch it out. So today, I just believe maybe God wants to begin a work of healing in you. Would you all stand to your feet with me? I'm done. You know, if you were here on Wednesday, we, we had a worship night and I, we had a moment where we prayed for people to be healed and call me crazy, but I still believe that God does miracles. Does anybody else here believe that? I, and sometimes a miracle is physical, sometimes it's relational, and sometimes it's emotional healing. Maybe some of you have been wounded some of you have been hurt. You haven't told anybody. Maybe this is that moment where first we're going to start with God and then when we get done, maybe you're going to tell somebody you love and trust and they're going to pray with you and, and walk with you to find healing. So would you bow your heads, just close your eyes. Father, I, I come to you now. God, we come to you now as imperfect people. God, I'm so grateful that you loved us so much that you sent Jesus not to condemn us, but to, to save and to rescue and to heal. God, I pray first and foremost for our heart. God, I'm asking you to help me never have a stubborn heart. I pray, God, you give me eyes to see people and to see situations the way you see them. God, I know that there's many here right now that need a touch, that need healing. They've got a condition, a physical condition, an emotional condition, a spiritual condition. Maybe you feel dead inside. Maybe you feel distant from God. Maybe you're here today and you, you know you need healing in any, any one of these areas and maybe no one knows. I believe that God is in the business of healing and I believe that you're in the right place because Jesus is here. His presence is here. And when Jesus walks into the church, things change. 
When Jesus walks into the church, people can be healed. The moment Jesus shows up. And so I don't know if that's you today, if God's speaking to you, but if you wanna take a step toward him and healing, here's what you might have to do like this guy had to do. You might have to stretch your hands. And so I'm gonna ask you, if you're saying, I need God to touch my life today, I'm gonna ask you to stretch your hands out to him right now all over the place. Come on, there's hands going up everywhere. Stop being so embarrassed about it. The reason why we never find healing, the reason why we don't find freedom is because we won't reveal it because we're afraid. But this is a moment where if you wanna find freedom and healing, you stretch your hands and you say, God, today I receive it. Father, I pray right now on behalf of your children that are stretching toward heaven. God, I pray healing right now. I pray wholeness in the name of Jesus. I pray for physical conditions, God, to be healed. I pray, God, restoration to come. I pray for emotional wounds, God, to be healed in the name of Jesus. I pray for spiritually dead to come alive in the name of Jesus. God, we receive your healing today. Thanks so much for tuning in to this message. I hope that it encouraged you and inspired your faith. If God is doing something in your life, would you take a moment and let us know? We wanna connect with you and we wanna be able to pray for you. All you have to do is shoot us an email to hello at the x.church or you can always send us a DM on one of our social media platforms. And if you know somebody that would also be encouraged by this very message, why not take a moment and just share it with them right now? And as always, I want to say thank you to every single person who so generously financially supports this ministry so we can continue to get messages like these out to people all over the world. We believe God is building something special and you're a significant part of it. Until next time, have a great day.